Mr. Speaker, we are pretty fed up with this fight against evidence-based programs that actually are saving lives. We cannot allow the Conservatives to take us back to the failed ideology of the past. Even Harper's advisor, Ben Perrin, thinks they're speaking nonsense. So just stop it and save lives. That is uh, Minister Carolyn Bennett. I'm not sure that's passion. I just uh, felt uh, she was a little unhinged when it came to talking about safe supply because she only has one view of it, and there is no other conversation to be had. She's got the evidence, and that's it. But, you know, when you see Toronto and what's going on here, and we're about to decriminalize hard drugs like Coke, meth, and fentanyl, we're following BC's route. I mean, if it's not working there, and they are having some very, very real issues with the newest problems, like, you know, their parks are being taken over with people doing drugs— uh, you can bet it'll happen here. But look, the safe supply side have said they're going to stay on course. And certainly depending on who you vote for in this mayoral race will determine our future in this city. The uh, only candidate I know so far looking to phase out safe supply in favor of treatment is Anthony Fury. Mark Saunders said that he would uh, stop the expansion, but not the actual program. You know, if we have evidence that it is working 1,000%, okay. But the National Post just revealed a very, very deep um, investigation into this showing that safe supply is being exploited and it's getting into the black market and creating a whole lot of other addiction issues. But again, why won't anyone look at that part of the conversation? Let me bring in Dr. Jeremy Eckert, Divine to the Conversation. He's a psychiatric resident at Mac University. Good to have you. I haven't chatted with you in a while. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me on. All right. So this is a this seems to be a conversation that is coming up more and more. Um, you know, Pierre Polyevra has talked about treatment um, and other options and staying with safe supply. We've got Anthony Fury who's talked about, you know, getting to the next step in this. And then you've got this other side, as you I'm sure you read the National Post investigative piece into this, where they just won't have this conversation. And even the doctors that Adam Zevo talked to. Uh, don't want to talk openly about it. You're one of the few who does. But um, is the conversation changing in your mind about the views of this? I do think that in the past couple of weeks, there has been a real shift, uh, in large part thanks to the National Post mm-hmm. sort of investigative piece. We are looking at this practice of safe supply a bit more closely. And I think even in the, in the Commons, you, you uh, the House of Commons, you aired uh, Carolyn Bennett yeah. kind of defending the policy there. Uh, frankly, I was a little disappointed and kind of frustrated with Minister Bennett's response to very valid criticisms of this experimental project. Uh, she seems to feel that this is sort of beyond reproach and keeps claiming there's evidence. Yet, from all of my studies on the topic, and I've looked at it, I've followed the issue closely for the past four years, that simply isn't the case. So I'm not really sure why she won't at least consider that perhaps the project isn't working. Um, that's, that's my feeling on the issue. Well, it's almost, um, you know, like they're very entrenched. Like I can understand, okay, safe and, you know, safe supply when the opiate crisis first started, you know, as a stopgap measure. I mean, it, it, the advocates have been you know, flagging this issue for a long time and politicians have been very, very slow, um, you know, to address it. Having said that, I always thought, okay, it's got to be a stopgap measure, but I get the sense that there are a lot of people who actually want to see this stay around forever. And I just don't see how we avoid the problems of other cities that are doing this and I think if, if it's a problem in Vancouver, I see it being 10 times worse in Toronto. Um, like, how, why, why is a stopgap measure being, uh, you know, supposed to be made permanent? 
That's a that's a great question. I mean, the reality is with safe supply, this is the practice of giving very high potent opioid medications to people who are highly addicted to opioids, right? Who are using fentanyl. There's nothing really empowering about being given an opioid, right? That's a very passive process. The patient who's severely addicted and just being given opioid after opioid, mm. there's no real development or growth there, right? There, that isn't treatment. But, and yet, like you're saying, it does seem like there's no real exit plan for this. This seems to be an almost an entrenched sort of Canadian thing now. No other developed Western kind of progressive nation does this. This is u- uniquely Canadian. And I think that's very troubling because, as I keep sort of saying, this isn't treatment. This isn't getting people off substances. This isn't developing. And I think it's very troubling that Minister Bennett seems so ideologically kind of committed to this project, which uh, most physicians, mainstream physicians, are very skeptical of, rightly so. Yeah, but very few of them will talk out and speak out because they get attacked. Um, uh, That is a very big problem um, because, you know, on this kind of issue – uh, that brings other issues because, you know, they'll say it's compassionate because you're keeping someone alive. Well, you're only keeping them alive for that hit. Um, you know, ultimately, you're keeping them sick. And I don't see the compassion in that. I can say, OK, at least have an option up front, but it can't be a long term thing because I don't think people, you know, addicted want, even want to be addicted. And so what could happen? Because the idea of treatment is automatically, you know, shot down and it can't be done. How can it be done? How do we transition? Because people, as you know, always say, well, Portugal did it. Well, Portugal also didn't rely on safe supply. I mean, they took that out of their their process. So how do you how do you do this and transition? It's a it's a great question. And I think it's really tough. Uh, Unfortunately, the past kind of six years, we've put all of our energies towards scaling up this harm reduction system, supervised injection sites, which which may play a role in recovery safe supply, but that's taken all of our energies Mm. when really we should be putting it towards, um, I'm impressed by Alberta's approach. Alberta does have um, a more recovery oriented system where if you're motivated and you want to stop using drugs, like many of my patients are, they don't want to be addicted as you're saying, Mm. you can get publicly funded treatment relatively quickly. Here in Ontario and and in Hamilton where, where I'm working Mm. it takes forever to get a treatment bed it is the the most cumbersome process i can barely navigate it as a physician i can't imagine how my patients struggling with addiction but you have stoke there why can't that's a huge facility why can't they reopen that and make beds available there right i think that would be a great first step and a tanguishing they're all over the province Right, right. There, there should be, that's where we should be putting our energies. But unfortunately, as I, as I keep saying, this current government, they're so captured by this harm reduction idea, they really feel deeply that this is the solution, that they're sort of, they have their blind sides on and, and they're not considering these more reasonable approaches as, as we're discussing here. Well, in Toronto, I'm sure you know, they want to follow BC's uh, path and, and decriminalize meth and coke and heroin and fentanyl. And, and, and BC now, there are a number of municipalities saying, well, hold on a second, I got drug people. I've got people doing drugs all over my parks now. We've got to have some measures here. I don't know if they'll reverse course on it, but, but is there any benefit? Because there are people, uh, doctor, who say, absolutely decriminalize all of it. What do you say to that? Because I don't see anything good coming of it. I. 
I'm not in favor of it. And, and I say that, you know, if we look like a substance of alcohol, right, alcohol is a drug, that's decriminalized, that's regulated, that substance is what yeah, yeah. Uh, these advocates want to do for crystal meth and, and opioids and fentanyl and, and so forth. But the cost of alcohol on the Canadian system, some estimates I've seen, it's four times as much as opioids. Even though we're in an opioid crisis, still alcohol outweighs that by four times. And that's decriminalized, that's regulated. I just don't think it's not reasonable to think that decriminalization will, will solve this. And if I could just make a quick comment about Portugal, uh, it's true that Portugal did decriminalize, but they paired that with a really assertive treatment system where some people, if you refuse treatment and you're severely addicted, there are penalties, there are consequences. And this was all done to sort of encourage people to go into treatment. So decriminalization was successful there, but it's largely because they paired it with a really almost coercive kind of get treatment, which which is what patients need. So very different than what's happening in Vancouver and which what might happen in Toronto. Yeah, well, doctor, at any point, are we going to see more doctors like yourself uh, speak out? I think increasingly, I mean, it's true that many wanted to remain anonymous yeah. for that National Post piece, but there were a number of physicians yeah. who did sort of raise their voice, Dr. Lamb, others. Um, so I think that uh, there might be a bit of a shift. I don't, um, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that there will be. I, I am hopeful, too, because, again, uh, I don't see the compassion uh, in this, and I don't see it being good for the communities at large. So I always appreciate you chatting with us, and uh, we'll do it again. Thanks. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Alex. There you go. That's Dr. Uh, Jeremy Eckert-Devine, and he does speak uh, about it. He wants to see other options. You heard him. Other doctors want to see this conversation. So uh, let's be open to it. But it's clear that when you're dogmatic, uh, you're just not going to see any other way. And I just don't think that's a, a healthy way. On the other side of this, we've got Mitzi Hunter and Brad Bradford. They're going to be joining us for a little face-off about their ideas. Can they deliver? Can they back it up? How will they build transit given all the issues we are seeing constantly, like we saw with the LRT? We'll talk about that. And how would they get people back into Toronto's downtown core? There's a report saying only 27% of people are coming back to work in the financial district. How do you reshape the financial district in your version of Toronto? We'll do that and more. Stay with us. I'm Alex Pearson. This is 640 Toronto.